Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. What's going on, everyone? Jason Brown with Climbing the Pocket back with another episode for you here. On this episode, we will be talking to John Veros of Sports Info Solutions. He's the injury coordinator over at SIS. Does great work. One bit of news uh, that dropped since this episode was recorded. It was revealed that Mike Hughes' injury was actually a multi-ligament injury and not just an ACL injury. So that could have an impact on the timelines that John outlined on the show. Outside of that, ton of great information. Hope you enjoy the show. If you have questions, comments, concerns, feel free to respond on Daily Norseman or to hit me up directly on Twitter at BrownJason. Enjoy. Introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a special episode of the Climbing the Pocket podcast. On with us today, we have John Barrows to talk with us about injuries. Uh, John is the injury coordinator at Sports Info Solutions, and uh, he's going to help us maybe get a better better understanding of uh, the injuries maybe we should be worried about and what's going on with uh, some of the players who maybe have, have a tendency to get nicked up on our on our favorite team. So, uh, John, I guess before we jump into it, uh, you're working with Sports Info Solutions, but can you give the listeners a bit of a background on yourself and I guess why you're someone we should listen to when it comes to this whole inj- injury thing? Yeah, for sure, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm the injury coordinator at Sports Info Solutions. I have been for three years now. Um, before my time here, uh, I graduated from the University of Michigan with my master's in kinesiology, where I specialized in biomechanics or watching how people moved. Um, and then after that, I worked for Indiana University's hospital system as a uh, clinical rehab specialist um, in a physical therapy setting, kind of uh, doing the same thing I did in school, which is watching how people moved and trying to help fix their movement patterns or gait uh based off what i saw that's awesome and so how uh did you take that skill set and how is it that you ended up getting you know pulled into this world of uh of, of sports you know some fantasy for- sports some real sports at uh, sports info solutions and i guess what is it that you're doing for them in their role as uh the injury coordinator yeah great question um so i started here as an intern just a a, a video scout here at sports info solutions uh, back in 2016, and after doing a season of charting games and scoring games uh, like we do here at SIS, um, I, I uh, noticed a, a little uh, a niche in, the, uh, in a, what we were doing here, and we were charting injuries, but we weren't doing anything with it at the time. And I, I sort of turned this idea that I've, I'd had for years before I even started here of uh, collecting NFL and college football injuries and creating a database so that you can then do some sort of research on it and possibly share that with people like NFL teams or uh, maybe gambling websites, things such as that. So my job here specifically is to 
review every single injury that our scouts see from every NFL and Division I uh, college football game. And then after I review that, um, that video and give my diagnosis and prognosis or like exactly what I think happened and how long they'll be out, uh, I then go on to try and match up what I saw and then what later on in the week coaches talk about in the press conferences or what is leaked out through the media and create a database using any sort of avenue that I can find. Oh, that's really cool. So when you're initially like looking at these clips and, and coming up with what you think the diagnosis would be, are you going back later and like scoring yourself for how your initial kind of video diagnosis, which I have to imagine is pretty challenging to do with these quick clips, you're maybe seeing them on the computer, maybe not the best angles. Like, are you going back and scoring how you're doing over time with uh, your initial analysis versus what comes out later on? Yes. Yeah, so I'm actually pretty accurate when it comes to um, the NFL because there's coaches film that comes out on NFL Game Pass and I can look at it from multiple angles as well as if there's like slow-mo during the uh, actual broadcast itself. But uh, I make sure that I, I play it on the safe side. So if I'm not pretty positive that I know what this injury is and how long they'll be out, I'll just put unknown that, hey, I'm just admitting either I couldn't see it or I don't know exactly what happened. Um, but if I do have a good sense for what I think happened, I'm I'm close to 90, 95% accurate with these. And if there is those small um, ones that I've missed on later on in the week, a couple of days later, if the coaches or the players come out and say exactly what happened, I can always go back and, and review that. That's awesome. Well, uh, have you on here because obviously this is a Vikings podcast, and uh, you know we 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 had some questions. Went out and talked to the other uh, hosts on the other uh, Climbing the Pocket Network for some some questions, some things we wanted to get into you uh, with you today. And one of the first things that uh, that came up is a, is a topic I've I've seen discussed before, and I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on it as someone who is is you know in this field and would would know a lot more about this than this kind of the anecdotal things that get thrown around on Twitter. Um, Turf versus grass. Is that really a thing? Is there, do you notice an increase, decrease? Is one surface better, worse as you're, you know, tracking athletes? Because Vikings fans are very certain that uh, the turf at US Bank Stadium is, is cursed and it is trying to destroy all of our players or that, you know, playing indoors <laughs> is worse, et cetera. And I was just wondering, is that actually a thing? Does science back this up? Hey, uh, so according to our data here at SIS, there actually is an increase in injuries per snap on turf compared to grass. So the fans aren't crazy for thinking that. Their, uh, their eyes aren't lying to them. So right now there's 18 teams who play on uh, their home games on grass, and there's 14 that play on turf. So there's maybe a couple different theories out there as to exactly what's happening um, on turf compared to grass. So it could just be that these players – the majority of these players are unaccustomed to playing on turf since um, more than half play on, on grass. So when they come to turf or even if they practice on grass and then play on turf, uh, they might be a little unaccustomed to exactly how the footing feels and, and exactly how much force to, to uh, put through their legs when they land. So things such as that. But then there's also the, the, uh, the other side of things where turf just isn't as soft as grass. So, things such as concussions um, when you're landing on a, a hard turf surface are bound to uh, be a little bit more uh, of an increase there when you're, when you're on the turf. Um, so I know the Vikings uh, recently, I believe uh, this off season actually upgraded their turf. Is that correct? 
That that is something that I, that I read. I would need to go back and get into the details, but I, I know that's something that was uh, discussed, and especially in the new practice facility, that everything that they put in there is, uh, has been top of the line. So, ideally, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see some things moving, I guess, in, in a more positive, less horrible for our for our team direction. Yeah, I think you will. Um, so I know originally when they put that turf in, uh, when the stadium first went up, what was it three years ago that uh that at first the turf, people were complaining about it being a little bit hard. And then I believe that recently this offseason, they actually went and redid the turf um, and they put a soft layer underneath the turf to provide some extra give for the players when they land on it. Well, that is definitely what we would like to hear. And uh, I guess moving along, the next thing that came up is something that's debated often, um, injury prone. Is that actually mm. a thing? Is that a real thing? You might hear oh, injury prone, and sometimes it's almost thrown out there as a, a way of saying like a player is soft or, or not, you know, working through the pain or whatever it might be. It's really thrown out as a pejorative, uh, almost, you know, coming at someone's toughness or something like that. And so I was just curious from your perspective, is injury prone also, is that a, a real thing? Is that something that, you know, as, as you diagnose things that, uh, that, that you're concerned about, uh, when you're you're putting your analysis out about what you expect to to see from a player in upcoming seasons, yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit split on this topic because there is such thing as a player being injury prone, and I believe you can look at the player's injury history as well as what the player is used for on the field, such as what his position is and what he's asked to do. Um, but there's also such thing as bad luck. I mean. Your, uh, your fullback last year, the rookie who came in out of UNLV, uh, Johnny Stanton, I mean, he came in and he got rolled up on during a block and he, he fractured and dislocated his ankle. And, I mean, that's, that's not because he's injury prone. I mean, that's just bad luck. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, uh, I guess one of the players that we'll talk about, it's, uh, I don't know, bad luck, injury prone. I'm not really sure which way. We have a couple we can go with, but I'm going to start with the, player who's probably this offseason receiving the most hype the player that with you know the change to scheme the upgrades to the offensive line new coordinators coming in uh mainly get gary kubiak and his history and what he's done with running backs in years past people are really projecting big things for dalvin cook as we go into this next season but dalvin cook really hasn't been a player who's been able to to stay fully healthy since coming into the nfl some of that you know bad luck tearing up the knee but he has been nicked here and there. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see I guess, what your take is on, on Dalvin Cook and, and the, the many kind of injuries, obviously some major, some not as big that he's had to deal with since coming into the, coming into the NFL. Yeah, so I think fans have a right to be excited about this guy. I mean, he's a heck of a talent coming out of Florida State. Um, and the one thing is that uh, I think most people don't know about Dalvin is that he's a tough guy. So does he get injured often? Yes. But – um, from what I've seen, this is a really tough player. I mean, he's shown the ability to play through injury. And especially when he was in college, he, sh he tore the labrum in his shoulder in 2014 and 2016, which caused some fumbling issues. But, I mean, the guy didn't miss a uh, game because of this. I mean, he, he got surgery because of it and then went on to play uh, his sophomore and junior years with this and didn't complain about it. So, I mean, he's a tough guy to begin with. Uh, but then, of course, this past season, he came in after his ACL tear and maybe he came back a little too soon. Maybe the rehab um, wasn't taken uh, slowly enough. I don't know. I don't work with the guy, so I, I can't say 
for certain. And I'm not, definitely not trying to badmouth anybody um, in the training staff for certain. Um, but yeah, he sustained a, uh, a hamstring strain in week two and then came back and then did it again in week four. Um, and uh, it doesn't sound great to say this, but this is a guy who's been dealing with hamstring strains dating back to his high school and college days. Um, he didn't miss any games uh, because of it. Um, but I do remember multiple times in his sophomore and junior year of college at FSU that a, uh, a former scout here at SIS named Chippy Williams would uh, pull me over while he was doing a scouting report on Delvin. And he would point out long runs that Delvin would have where he would have to pull up and run out of bounds or just stop because his uh, his leg was bothering him. And it, and it looked like he would be grabbing at his hamstring. So in my opinion, this seems to be some sort of a chronic hamstring issue that Dalvin's been dealing with. Um, but it is it is concerning because it's a chronic issue, but it's not something that a, a, a training staff can't focus on this offseason and get him right on. And if you'll let me, I'll get into a little bit more of, uh, of what exactly the training staff can do, if you don't mind. No, absolutely, because that was going to be the next question is like, you know, once someone you know generally injures a hamstring and anyone who's played sports knows that once that hamstring goes it can be something that's really tough to deal with and it, it is often something that you're very nervous about and it, it tends to creep back up even if you warm up stretch do all the things that you're traditionally told to do so i'm very curious to to get your take on what some things you know the vikings could be doing who knows maybe that they are doing uh or that just any of us you know weekend warrior athletes can be doing if uh we have recurrent hamstring injuries that uh that maybe could help out for people Hey, that's fair. We can hit on everybody if uh, if they're listening to it. Uh, so in my opinion, there's typically three things that uh, are the major reasons that could be causing a chronic hamstring strain. The first of which is a, a strength imbalance or an asymmetry between the left and right sides of your hamstring. Um, uh, typically, they say that if there's a 15% difference in strength between either side, you're at a higher risk for a hamstring strain. Um the is, second is it usually the the strong side or the weak side that's going. Yeah, so it could be either one. So there's two different schools of thought. One is the one that's stronger is then having to overwork and uh, pull its weight a little bit more than the other side. So it could strain because of overwork. And then there's the other side of thought, which is the weaker side is just more prone to injury because it just can't keep up. So it could be either way. Okay, that makes sense. So the second cause uh, for chronic hamstring strains would be um, you, typically you're looking for an equal strength ratio between your hamstrings and quadriceps, so the front and back of your thigh muscles. Um, so ideally you want it to be like a one-to-one -one ratio um, where they're equal strength. But this typically isn't the case, and most athletes are quad dominant. Um, so what you can do is you can limit um, hamstring strains by having this ratio or this percentage for your hamstring strength to be at least 60% or more uh, as the strength of your quadriceps. That will limit the the amount of uh, work that your hamstrings are going to have to keep up with your quads as you're doing these explosive movements uh, like, like Dalvin's doing. So, and then the, uh, so just before you moved on for that, because uh, – I mean, you know, everyone and oftentimes you'll see like your football players, there's all the footage of like Saquon uh, leading up to the draft and Darius Geis. And you see oftentimes in the football locker room, uh, a lot of the, the props that you're going to get for your strength often come from like the pushing movements, be they squats, be they bench. And so like, you know, 
squats in particular, very quad dominant type of, of, of exercise. And a lot of times, you know, guys are going and putting in huge amount of weight on, on that. What are some things or what are some exercises I guess you would be recommending for, you know, anyone to, to balance that out so that they are, you know, not so quad dominant in, in terms of what they're doing to, to limit the chances of them uh, potentially injuring that hamstring? Yeah, so you're right. And a squat is a quad dominant movement and guys like Saquon are squatting like 465 and repping it out. It's crazy. Um, my favorite um, hamstring exercise, especially for players who either have um, a previous hamstring injury or like you said, they're quad dominant and they really need to work on preventing hamstring injuries and keeping up that hamstring strength with the quads is an eccentric movement or uh, something they call a Nordic hamstring exercise where you're lengthening as you're loading the hamstring. So someone's like holding your ankles while you're on your knees and you're trying to bring and control your body as it moves to the floor. There are machines that are set up to prop you up while you do this, but you can also do it with a partner or just put your feet underneath the couch or something if the couch is stable enough. But yeah, it's that eccentric movement that a lot of physical therapists and trainers are working on with their athletes to prevent hamstring injuries. They're finding that the eccentric part of when you're running um, or like when you're slowing down uh, your your hip flexion as you're extending out is when you're finding most of these hamstring injuries. So they're trying to mimic that movement with this Nordic hamstring exercise. That's awesome. Thanks. Man. What's the last, what's the, what's number three? Yeah. So the third, um, and this is something that um, is difficult to do unless you're, you have an expert trainer, which I'm assuming the Vikings have. So a lack of glute strength um, has been shown to cause hamstrings to overwork and strain. Um, so both of these muscle groups are involved in hip extension or like when your leg goes behind you um, during your run. Uh, so the gluteus maximus may be strong. We all know that's like your, your butt muscle, but the smaller, deeper muscles such as the gluteus medius and minimus are going to be the ones that stabilize the hip and thigh. And when these two muscles, which are difficult to exercise because they're so small and deep and you need to focus on them, when they're not strong enough, it can cause the lateral side of your hamstring to have to overwork. And then there, again, is another um, uh, situation in which you're going to find more hamstring strains are going to happen. Awesome. So for, for those, I guess, again, same question, what, uh, what kind of things can we be doing uh, you know, at home or at the gym to, to help out? Or is that something that you really actually need to have a, a trainer help you out to really address those, uh, those, those smaller muscles? Yeah, so hip abduction is going to be an easy way to get this. So laying down on your side and bringing your leg up into the air. But it's difficult to, to focus on the gluteus media, medius and minimus. You really need to find someone who knows what they're doing to, to show you the exact proper technique of how to, how to reach these smaller muscles. It means changing the plane or the angles at which you're lifting your legs. Maybe it means pointing your toes down or or bringing your hip further over your, your midline than, than you'd expect on a normal hip abduction. But yeah, uh, those are definitely things that you can definitely do hip abduction and work on your glutes um, just at home. I mean, anybody can do it and it, it would for sure help prevent hamstring strains. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? 
Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, the next big name player that that Vikings fans are, are going to want to know about is, uh, is Stefan Diggs, a guy who has uh, also kind of been hit by that nagging injury bug uh, throughout his career. Um, you know, will either you know, play, get nicked up, play through injuries, not be as effective, or need to miss a couple of games here and there, just based on what usually are announced as what seem to be soft tissue, excuse me, soft tissue type injuries. And uh, I guess, yeah, again, curious for your your thoughts on on Stefan Diggs based on what you've seen, and I guess what the, the chances are for for this being a season in which he's able to avoid those sorts of things as he moves forward. Yeah, so I like Stefan Diggs going into this season. I think he has a, a solid chance to play 16 games. Maybe he misses one or two, but I like his chances of playing a full season. Um, and you're right, in the past, uh, before this most recent season, um, he's had groin injuries and hip strains. And um, it was a little bit um, a little scary going into the 2018 season that, it, of course, it would happen again. But it appears as though he he dodged all of those uh, nagging injuries, and the only reason he missed a game in 2018 was because of that that hit he took, and he had those bruised ribs. So I'm I'm actually really hopeful for Stefan Diggs going into the future. It sounds like he might have um, fixed that imbalance he had in his hips that was uh, causing him to strain his groin and hip. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, we hit on the big things. Uh, before I get you out of here, because, you know, you've given me a ton of great information here, there's a couple other, I guess, maybe lesser-known players, but players who you know, potentially could factor into what the Vikings are trying to do this year. Um, so I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on uh, on some other guys who are coming back from injury. Uh, and the first one I was interested in is Mike Hughes. What are your thoughts on on him, and, and what is the typical timeline for for people coming back because it seems as though these knee injuries, people are coming back from them faster and faster and faster every year. What is actually a reasonable amount of time for us as fans to, uh, to expect to see a player back 
um, on the field uh, in a football context playing, you know, at 100%. So, uh, unfortunately, Mike Hughes tore that ACL uh, in his left knee in week six against the Cardinals. Um, I went back and watched that video, and uh, it looked like he hyperextended his knee pretty bad, and, and that's a gruesome way to uh, to do that ACL, and uh, it was pretty scary. Uh, so the typical recovery for an ACL tear is going to be nine to ten months post surgery, and he did it in in October. So I see no reason why a guy like Mike Hughes can't be ready to to rock and roll for this upcoming season. Um, uh, return in August. So here in a few weeks isn't out of the question. Uh, and I have no short-term concerns for a guy like Mike Hughes, because as you said, it seems like these recoveries are getting faster and faster. And in my opinion, I don't think it's in the last few years, it's been a difference in the surgery or the surgical techniques. I think it's been more in the, in the idea that we've been um, improving and sharing our rehab techniques to everyone around the league, as well as the world. Uh, I mean, people are starting to get it down to an exact science of when you should do it, of, I mean, when you should do specific movements, how hard you should go, how much you need to rest. And it's just making it easier and easier for these guys to come back earlier and come back 100%. Awesome. And then uh, the last two here, you don't have to spend too much time on them, but they have become, uh, this year, the first guy... Uh, um, been getting a lot of praise, a lot of hype from uh, the coach, from the general manager, made some changes to his body and has been, was kind of the talk of OTAs. And then uh, we have a folk hero who's been around doing the dirty work for the team for quite some time. Also uh, dealt with some injuries last year. So interested in your thoughts on uh, Hercules Mata'afa and David Morgan and what we should expect for them coming back from, uh, from injuries as we go into this next season. For sure. So Hercules Mata'afa tore his ACL in June. Of 2018, he didn't have a chance to really show his stuff. But, yeah, I, I saw the uh, the picture he posted on Instagram of himself flexing, saying that he hit the 280 club. Oh, they have him lining up at 3-Tech in camp. Is that right? That is uh, – that's the discussion. That's what they're talking about is a, a switch to uh, – yeah, to 3-Tech. Yeah, Making him so, our new Gino hey. Atkins for Mike, for Mike Zimmer, so we'll see. Hey, that's perfect. If he, hey, so sometimes uh, adding weight during rehab for an ACL can be good, and sometimes it can be bad. Uh, so it's to be determined if this uh, extra 25, 30 pounds is going to help or hurt um, his athleticism. But uh, he's been fully cleared to play already. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, a little curious to see how, uh, how he fares in this upcoming season um, with this extra weight. And then the other guy, David Morgan, uh, so he got injured in week nine against the Lions when uh, the left guard, Danny Isadora, fell onto his left knee. And again, that's, that's, this is one of those cases of is injury proneness real? And with David Morgan, this was just unlucky. Um, I mean, someone just fell onto his knee as he was blocking um, from behind. And uh, he returned four weeks later, uh, but then this past or this most recent offseason, he underwent a knee scope. Um, and over video, there was no real um, diagnosis that I could say for soon. Uh, my best guess would be that it was some sort of either sprain or meniscus damage, or maybe a combination of both that caused him to miss time and then require this additional surgery. Um, 
So if it is uh, a meniscus uh, damage in his knee that he had to get a scope for and just cleaned up, maybe trimmed a little bit of the meniscus off that was partially torn, uh, this player should be to, ready to go for uh, for the uh, the preseason here coming up. That is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, John, thank you, thank you, thank you again for making time, for coming on. Uh, listeners, uh, John is, is a really awesome guy, and if you're not following him now, you should make sure you go and follow him at Veros John. So that's at V-E-R-R-O-S-J-O-H-N on Twitter. And if you're not following the folks over at Sports Info Solutions, you should be doing that as well. They put out a lot of great information, a lot of great content, and uh, they're just another place you can go get a lot of the information that you need to make yourself smarter as a fan. So, uh, yeah, John, thank you again for uh, for making time. And, uh, yeah, I'm guessing uh, once those uh, those training camp injuries start to, to hit, we'll probably be talking to you again. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, I'd love to do it again. This was a lot of fun. Um, Thanks for the shout out on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, hey, Jason, have me have me back uh, whenever you feel like it, man. I love to do it. Thanks, man. Well, uh, you have a good one, listeners. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. time we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. What once seemed improbable is happening now. Insurance is front and center for tech companies who are finally commanding the space they occupy in every other industry. Behind the disruption is Cover Genius, the insure tech for embedded insurance that protects customers of the world's largest digital companies. Available at Amazon, Intuit, Flipkart, eBay, Booking.com, Skyscanner, Ryanair, and Southeast Asia's largest company, Shopee. Cover Genius's platform makes it easy for their global partners to embed insurance and warranty bundles, and especially rundles within their booking path or signup, connecting customers with the protection they need. And with global licensing and end-to-end -end capabilities across all industries, from property to travel, fintech, logistics, the gig economy and retail, Cover Genius can build and distribute any kind of insurance and process claims in all 50 states and in more than 60 countries, all through a single integration. 
Because your customers are at the center of everything, CoverGenius pays claims instantly and maintains an NPS of 65+, plus, the highest in an industry where traditional insurers rely on paper forms, missed calls, and mailed checks to deliver NPS below zero. Give your customers the peace of mind they deserve. Visit CoverGenius.com slash Vox today to learn more. CoverGenius, the insure tech for embedded insurance. 